I want to speak to you today on the subject of the six habits of a disciple. First of all, it may be helpful just to be reminded when we use the word disciple, what are we talking about? The word disciple in the New Testament simply meant a disciplined learner. There actually were disciples of all different kinds of folks. Uh, There were disciples of John the Baptist. There were disciples of certain rabbis. There were disciples of even cults. Uh, And yet, when we use the word disciple, we're speaking of a dedicated, disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. How many of you can say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would you wave at me? All right, if not, we'll invite you to be one today. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there are certain things that are expected of us. And I want to talk to you today about six of those habits, or we may want to call them spiritual disciplines, but I want to speak to you about the habits of a follower of Jesus Christ. So let me just uh, give you this introduction as a quote from uh, Richard Foster, who I'll show you his picture in just a moment. He's written a great, uh, wonderful, classic textbook called The Celebration of Disciplines. Dr. Foster says, spiritual disciplines or habits are intended for our good. They are meant to bring the abundance of God into our lives. I like that last phrase. The spiritual habits we're going to talk about this morning, I've selected six to talk about, are designed to bring God's abundance more into our lives. Now, we know that God wants us to live abundant lives, John 10, 10, but a lot of Christians don't know how to get there. They say, you know, that's kind of a a lofty objective or something that feels distant. I know it sounds, uh, uh, maybe you don't want to hear, but to be honest with you, it takes some disciplined effort for you to be the kind of disciple that Jesus really wants you to be. How many of you know it's easy to develop bad habits? And for some reason, it seems to be hard to develop good habits. But developing habits is the way to you embracing and receiving the abundance of God and being used by God in to maximize your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Dr. Richard Foster was a, actually a Quaker minister. And uh, as I mentioned, he wrote this wonderful book that he's most known for, Celebration of Discipline, in which he outlines the primary disciplines, spiritual disciplines of a Christian life. I love this particular quote from him in his book. He says, the disciplines are a means to receiving God's grace in our lives. I don't know about you, but I need more of God's grace. Uh, Grace, not just the, the forgiving Yes, uh, unmerited favor of God, but also the extension of his presence, the extension of his his mercy, his love, his character, his embrace. The grace of God is all of God's presence and all that he brings in our lives. I need more of God's grace, and I think you would probably agree you do too. Here's the challenge we have today. We're living in a culture uh, where there is abysmal ignorance of the most simple, practical, spiritual habits that we need to be walking in. The reason is because we're run over with casual Christianity. Casual Christians who simply live in a superficial existence of, oh yes, I know Jesus, oh yes, I go to church, oh yes, I had experience with Jesus one day. We're not talking about that. You can can be saved and be a casual Christian. 
God today is looking for on fire Christians. God today, as we sang, he's looking for the church to wake up, be the army of God, be his hands and feet in the world, and really make a difference. I've got news for you. An army that is not disciplined is not a winning army. I suffered through watching the scores of of, of my favorite college team yesterday, which uh, I'm embarrassed to admit who it is today. But shh, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit who it is today. But honestly, the reason they lost their game yesterday is probably a lot of college teams lost yesterday. Just it comes down to a lack of discipline. See, that's what coach is going to be saying tomorrow. A lack of discipline. And that's not a word that a lot of times we like to hear. But spiritual disciplines are not intended to be a heavy weight. They're intended to be for our good. They're intended to bring God's abundance and God's grace into our lives. So uh, we're going to talk about some of those habits today. But before I delineate the six of them, may I also give you a warning? Please don't turn these habits into laws. I know a lot of Christians who discovered the, the nature of these disciplines and they apply them in a legalistic, soul-killing way. Jesus warns about such tendencies in the New Testament. In Matthew 5.20 or Matthew 24, listen to this quote, he says, They, speaking of the Pharisees, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. We're not talking about an externalism that becomes some way to judge others and to be proud of ourselves. And sometimes people use the spiritual disciplines that way. They say, how much have you fasted this month? And we use it in a soul-killing, legalistic way that quenches the life of God that's in us. However, I also suggest you don't flip to the other extreme and say, oh, I really don't need to be disciplined. God loves me. Hallelujah. Isn't this wonderful? Yes, it is wonderful. But God wants you to grow as a disciple. Therefore, I want to talk about spiritual habits, which are really the same thing as these spiritual disciplines. And as we look at them, I'm going to offer to you six, and I want to remind you that uh, uh, habits, because we're probably not going to be able to get to this at the close, as I mentioned these six. How many of you could just tell me real briefly, how are habits formed? Through what? Repetitious use. Some studies have been done and shown that if you can do the same thing the same way for 30 to 45 days, depending on your wiring, you will have developed a reasonable level of habitual behavior. 30 to 45 days. Some of you are thinking, if I could get my kid to do that, man, it would make life a whole lot easier, right? Can you imagine if we could just, I, I, I'm not expecting a whole, I'm not expecting that you walk out of here with six, these six habits and say in the next 30 days, all of them are going to be fully functional in my life. I, I'm not, I, look, I've been around too long to think that. But I would like to suggest that you rate yourself as we go through these. You say, oh, rate myself. Yeah, actually think as you go through these six on a scale of one to 10, how do you score yourself? One being the lowest, ten being the highest. I, by the way, I'm not going to ask anybody to reveal your ratings to me today, all right? 
I'm not going to ask that you write it down. It's between you and Jesus. But I think it's helpful for you to evaluate, look at yourself and say, how am I doing in that particular habit? And give yourself a score and a grade. That will then give you some guidance of where you need to focus and which of the habits maybe you should focus on the most. All right, is that fair enough? All right, everybody's ready. They got their pins out and they're ready to make notes. All right, here we go. So the first habit I want to speak about is the habit of meditation. Everybody say meditation. What I'm not talking about here is Eastern mysticism. I'm not even talking about meditation that is normally a part of, of doing yoga or things that are, are, are I'm, and I'm not talking about passive thinking where you just clear your mind of everything. In fact, that's a little dangerous. I'm talking about biblical meditation. Do you know what the Bible tells us? Psalm chapter 1 and verse 2. But his delight, speaking of a man or a woman of God, his delight is in the what? In the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates when? Day and night. It's interesting in the Bible whenever meditation is mentioned, most of the time it includes that little phrase that says day and night. Thinking, wow, how in the world can I meditate day and night? Psalm 19 says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, this is the psalmist crying out to God, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You may remember in Joshua chapter 1 that the key to prosperity and success in the life of Joshua was tied to whether or not Joshua would meditate in God's laws day and night. Meditation, what is it? Let me explain what the word meditate, as it's used in the Old Testament Hebrew, actually means. It means to ponder, to imagine, to mourn, to speak, to study, to talk, to utter. The word, the original word, actually is a word that it, the closest English word today uh, to it would be ruminate. I bet that it's been a while since you've used that word. Honey, when was the last time you ruminated? You know, you probably don't use that word, right? But you know what it means. Now, I, I'm a Texas boy, all right? So I'm accustomed to watching goats, cattle. Grew up on a dairy farm where my grandparents had a dairy farm. It was the most common thing to watch, the, watch those dairy cows during, the, during all day long. There would be times that they'd eat, and then they would do what? They just, sometimes they do it standing, sometimes they do it leaning up against a tree, sometimes they do it laying down, and what would they be doing? <laughs> Y'all all seen that before? You know why they're doing that? Because the way God made them is they are ruminating. They are regurgitating and chewing and swallowing and regurgitating and chewing and swallowing. I know it sounds gross, but the idea is they are maximizing the nutrients from what they are eating. As a Christian, we need to learn how to meditate biblically. And to meditate biblically means to take a thought, concept, or scripture is the best. Don't try to meditate on a whole chapter. Pick a simple phrase. Uh, be still and know that I'm God, right? Take tomorrow and just say, 
from the time I get up to the time I go to bed tomorrow, I'm going to ruminate, reflect, ponder, place my thoughts on that scripture. How many of you think if you did that during the course day and night, you did throughout 24 hours, again, it's not something that's going to consume your lunch period. or um, It's just off and on, you're just, when you have a moment and your mind just, you're just going to go to be still and know that I'm God. And you're thinking, and as you ponder it, you probably start asking questions like, what does it really mean? Be still. Hmm, I wonder how still I, I've been. And you, all of this processing goes on as you what? As your focused reflection on something. That is meditation. You can meditate on the, on the characteristics and the attributes of God one by one. You can meditate on the blessings that are ours in Christ. Pick one a day. It'll keep you busy for a year. Just learn to meditate. There's so much that we can glean from meditation. It leads us to an inner wholeness, to peace. It promotes revelation, insight. And I find that the two key factors for me are focus and listening. So it's not just you with busy, busy time. It's focusing your, your psyche and your spirit on something. And then also reflecting by listening to what God is speaking to you, listening to his voice. The Bible tells us that many times throughout Scripture, this person, that person, that person, they meditated. Genesis 24, for example, says Isaac went out the field he went out to the field to meditate. I wonder how many times we really meditate. I think our problem with meditation, first of all, a lot of Christians don't understand it, or they get it confused with a mystical thing. I think the other problem is we're too busy. I confess I am. Way too busy for meditation because meditation takes quiet, focused reflection and listening. May I challenge you to grade yourself on the habit of meditation and see what you can do to develop that spiritual discipline more in your life. Let's look at the second spiritual habit. You would have guessed that this would have been one. It's the habit of prayer. So much is said about prayer, and yet so little is done. So much is mentioned casually about the importance of prayer. But let's just develop the habit of prayer. We know that basically prayer is simply communing with God. It is communication. It's even two-way communication with, with God. It is a central avenue that God has chosen to transform us. God saved you, not just to send you to heaven. He created you and he redeemed you from your sinful life so that you could have fellowship with him. So that you could commune and communicate with him. I don't think I need to remind you today that prayer works. You know it at least intellectually. But prayer works. But you have to work prayer. You have to pray for prayer to work. I love the quote from Martin Luther 
when he said, man, I'm so busy. I've got so much on my plate today. Oh, I've got a lot to do. How many of you say that often? I've got so much to do. And you know what he added? He said, I've got so much today. I need to, I need to actually spend three hours in prayer today, more than my normal hour and a half. I've got to spend three hours in prayer. When was the last time you thought that? Wow, I've got so much to do today. There's so much on my plate today. I've got to actually double my prayer life today. In fact, we say, you know, I just don't have time to pray today. I've got so much to do. I think our thinking is reversed on that. We know that James tells us the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I love John Wesley uh, when he says that God does nothing but in answer to prayer. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? He does nothing except in answer to prayer. If we want God to do things in our land, if we want him to do them in our church, in our lives, our marriages, our families, guess what? Prayer needs to be central to it. St. Augustine is well known for this statement. He said, and it's theologically pretty, pretty fascinating, but just take it at, it, at its uh, worth here. Without God, man cannot. Without man, God will not. That's one you could meditate on. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? That's one you could put down for the meditation challenge. Yeah. Without God, man cannot. And without man, God will not. Prayer, listen carefully, prayer is not trying to overcome God's reluctance. Instead, it is simply laying hold of God's willingness. He's willing, desirous to do more than we've allowed him to do. But we have to do our part. And a big part of that is prayer. All different kinds of prayer. We've taught series on prayer here. There's the prayer of petition. There's the prayer of intercession. There's the prayer of agreement. There's the prayer of consecration. There's the prayer of fellowship or intimacy. There's all different kinds of prayer. We know that prayer works. There are plenty of examples in the scripture of that. I highly suggest as you're developing your habit of prayer, you need a prayer time, you need a prayer place, you need a prayer posture, and you need a prayer plan. I'll say that again. You need a prayer time, you need a prayer place, you need a prayer posture, and you need a prayer plan. Not in a legalistic way, but something to give you some structure to your prayer life. If it's simply casual, it usually doesn't become a habit. Now, when I'm talking about prayer, <clears throat> obviously prayer is both personal as well as corporate. We had a time of prayer of agreement today, interceding for special needs of the people in Texas and Louisiana. But on a regular basis, there are times that the body just needs to come together in prayer. We actually have a day a month, and it just happens to be this coming Wednesday. This coming Wednesday, the first Wednesday of every month, easy to remember, we declare it as a day of corporate prayer and fasting. So we ask that you make that a concentrated time of prayer. We have a prayer meeting at, at uh, 6 a.m. in the morning, right in the annex next door, that I'll be leading, 6 to 7, 
not lengthy. Come in. We have people that come in for 15 minutes of it. We have people that come in for 30 minutes, head to work. We have people that come in for the whole hour. That's great. And then if you can't come in the morning, you're welcome to come in the evening. On that first Wednesday night of the month, from 7 to 8 o'clock at night, we also have another corporate care prayer guide. So put on your schedule sometime. Try it out. I know that sometimes it's difficult from where you, where you may live. And uh, I understand that. But once a month, you would think that once a month, we could fast together. I'll talk about fasting in a moment. Let's evaluate our habits of prayer. Number three, the habit of fasting. Oh, you've been waiting for this one. I know you're excited about this. You're jumping up and down to hear this. We should all understand what fasting is. It is the denying self the pleasure of food and denying the physical body the intake of food for a specific amount of time. This habit is practiced by literally a who's who of biblical leaders through the Bible. Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Jesus, and his disciples. And then historical leaders who've done so much to contribute to the building of the kingdom of God. John Knox, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, Dr. Paul Youngie Cho, Billy Graham, on and on I could go. People who were dedicated to the concept and to the practice of the role of fasting. It's not easy, but it's a vital discipline. Jesus and his disciples had a conversation in Matthew 17 when they complained because the demons that they were supposed to have authority over wouldn't respond. Tried to cast out the demons. They, didn't, they wouldn't come out. What, did you, what was his answer? Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you. This level of demonic activity can only be released by what? Prayer and fasting. What does that suggest? When you add fasting to your prayer, you go from 110 to 220. You increase your prayer voltage. You increase your prayer power significantly by leveraging fasting with prayer. It positions you for breakthrough. Listen, the Bible has a great deal to say about fasting and prayer. It commands us to fast. We're told to declare fast. The Bible gives us examples of people who fasted and prayed and tells us different kinds of fast for different reasons, and they all have positive results. What I want you to know is that fasting combined with prayer puts you in the best possible position for a personal or other type of breakthrough. There's all different kinds of benefits. The other thing is it just helps to bring our carnal flesh into submission, which it's pretty stubborn at times, isn't it? And we usually take really good care of our physical body. I mean, I, what I mean that is we feed it plenty. I mean, we rarely forget the habit of eating. And come on, somebody say amen today. Right? I mean, boy, we got the habit of eating three fulls of meals, a day, three, three full meals a day. We got that down. But fasting, not so much. I, I can just tell you this on a personal level. Boy, I, you know, it's always been an area that I said, Lord, I need, to, I need you to help me with fasting more. I have friends that just 
put me to shame. I have friends who fast 40 days. A couple of times a year, they'll fast 40 days. It's amazing. All different types of fast, even a complete fast that time. And, and I said, would, brother, I, I don't necessarily feel led to do that, but would, <laughs> but would you put me on your list? I just make sure I'm on their prayer list while they're doing it. I know this. Every major decision that Carrie and I have ever made in our 42 years of marriage and my 45 years of ministry have included fasting. I think we underestimate the habit of fasting. Let's look at number four. The habit of study. Studying God's word. Philippians 4, 8 tells us that we ought to put our mind on these things. And the problem is, how do we know these things? How do we know what we're to put our minds on so that we're not anxious? How do we know that? By studying the Word of God. We know the Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that all the Bible is inspired. It's all God-breathed is what the word means here. And notice what it says. It is profitable. Everybody say profitable. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that a man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's different ways to approach the Bible. And we understand, I, I, you know, there's different, and all of them have their place. There's a time to read. There's a time to memorize. When was the last time some of you memorized a scripture? Oh, don't even tell me. <laughs> Memorization. Confession and declaration. There's all different things we do with the Word of God. But there's one thing I find that Christians tend to get weak on, and that is studying. And studying is not the same as reading. It includes reading, but it goes deeper than reading. So if you say, oh, yeah, I studied my Bible day, what do you mean? Well, I, I read my two chapters. That's, you haven't studied. Studying means you make observations. You look for the proper interpretation of what it means. And then you look for application for your personal life. It might mean that you go cross-referencing from Matthew to Revelation back to Genesis. It might mean that you actually have to utilize some resources like Bible dictionary or, or a, a concordance. God forbid. Wow. I remember we used to have to buy that stuff. Now you can get most of that online free. No excuses anymore for the habit of study. But we need to study. Listen, it's only through studying, meditation and study really is what drills down, drills down and gives you the real meat of the word. Otherwise, you're living on milk. You're living up here on the surface and you're not really benefiting from God's word the way he wants you to. I actually felt inspired while I was preparing this message this week. Um, Stacy, next, next session in our winter, let's do a small group on how to study the Bible. You want me to do it? Oh, well, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But uh, I, I figured that was probably coming. But anyway, we need to, how many of you would agree you, you need more tools to know how do I do that? Help, hold my hand and show me how to, how many of you think 
All right, a few of you would agree. And those of you that don't have your hands up, that means you already know how to do it. You just need to do it. All right, right? All right. Studying the Word of God. It, it, it's so different than just reading, and it will help to renew your mind. And I'm telling you, there, once you get addicted to really studying God's Word, it takes you so deeper. Not only in your walk with God. Not, this isn't about expanding intellectual capacity with, about theology. That's not what this is about. You'll add to your knowledge base. But this is about you knowing God and the things of God deeper. Not to impress someone else, but for your growth. Number five, the habit of community. This may surprise you because this one is corporate. The habit of community has to do with doing life together with other Christians. The local church is God's place for community today. Thank God there's many wonderful local churches. And if you're not connected to one, committed to one, then find one. If this one isn't the right one, I'll give you a list of several others to try. But find a group, find a church where you can get involved and not just have token attendance once a month. It is called community. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 describes the early church, the prototypical church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The word there is koinonia. It means the sharing of life. In today's language, it means doing life together. Eating together, drinking coffee together, chatting together, watching football games together, praying together, working together, serving together. That's community. We need to learn it. All you know the scripture, it's been hammered on you for years in Hebrews 10, 25. But it is truth that we should not forsake the assembling, the gathering of ourselves together as some are in the habit of. By the way, that's the wrong kind of habit. But instead, we do what? Exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. I love what John of the Cross, one of the great um, historical writers said. Listen to what he said about community. The soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. Listen, folks, I, I can't make it without your fellowship. I need you, you need one another, we need greater community. I love what the great Henry Nouwen, the way he put this, when he said, the discipline of community, Notice he, he included as one of his disciplines, the discipline of community makes us persons, that is, people who are sounding through to each other a truth, beauty, and a love which is greater fuller, richer than we ourselves can grasp. In true community, we are windows constantly offering each other new views on the mystery of God's presence in our lives. And I got news for you as my time is up and I need to wrap up. Coming on to church on Sunday mornings, as great and important as that celebration is, and it's all vertical and we're hearing God's word, that's important, but that's not real community. You are fellowshipping basically with the back of someone's head this morning. 
community is when we gather and we circle around and we really connect with one another and we all have a chance to minister and bring something and respond and react. That's community. And that's the reason that we make a big deal out of journey groups, which is our small group ministry, because it's there in groups of six to 15 people where you get build relationships, build fellowship and experience true community. This is a habit. How well are you doing? Number six, the last one is the habit of worship. Now, the way I'm using the word worship here is to describe worship in the broadest sense, not in the narrow sense. So there are times that we distinguish worship from praise. But for the sake of this habit, I'm including thanksgiving, praise, worship. This includes singing, rejoicing. It includes multiple different ways to posture yourselves with vertical, vertical uh, words and song that are magnifying God, honoring Him for who He is and what He has done. That is worship. The other thing to remember about worship is it starts right here. Going through the motions doesn't count. It has to be heartfelt. Jesus said that in John chapter 4 that I'm coming and I'm going to look for those who will do what? Who will worship in what? In spirit and truth. We all know the scripture in Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And that includes our worship. It ought to be passionate. It ought to be full scope, full orb, full throated. It ought to be, it ought, there ought to be times where we're, our worship is silent on our knees and there ought to be a times that we're jumping up and down and cannot contain our joy. Worship, personally and corporately, should be a habit. We know that the scripture tells us in Acts 16 that as Paul and Silas were thrown in the middle of a, of a deep, dark prison, persecuted beaten for their testimony, what did they do? About midnight, they just started saying, well, let's just sing. We're just going to sing. So they began to sing hymns. They began to praise God. Of course, we know the result was God moved with an earthquake. I'm not saying every time you praise and worship God, there's going to be an earthquake. But I am telling you this, you'll make things happen. And your life will be better because of the development of the habit of worship. May we review Here they are. How did you do on the habit of meditation? The habit of prayer, the habit of fasting, the habit of study, the habit of community, and the habit of worship. What I recommend is you look at the top two, top two meaning the two habits that have the lowest scores in your grading, and commit yourself to begin to focus working on those habits. Remember, what does it take to develop a habit? Some consistent, repetitious use. Doing it. 30 to 45 days. And you'll be surprised at the habit you'll develop. Would you stand to your feet, please? God, help us all to develop better habits that are spiritual. Amen? I want to pray for you this morning and I ask that you would be responsive to God. I don't think I even need to ask you if there's anything that spoke to you because if this didn't speak to you, something, all of us can probably say, I've got one or two habits I really need to hone in on, right? So I'm just going to pray that God's grace will strengthen you to do it. 
I am going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward. And if you're here today and you need prayer for some miracle in your life, maybe it's for physical healing, maybe it's for some personal need, maybe it's to make a decision for Christ today, our prayer teams are available and ready for you to respond. And as soon as I pray, you come and let them pray for you. They'll be stretched here across the front uh, of our room. And the rest of us, I'm going to pray for you. And then Pastor Todd is going to come and just declare a blessing on you as you depart. Father, I pray for special graces to be dispensed today. Holy Spirit, rise up on the inside of us and give us the determination to work at developing the right habits. Lord, I thank you that we're saved by grace. But based upon that, there's some things we need to work on. So I ask that you just give us the strength, the determination, and help us in our disciplines that we will become a well-rounded, well-grounded, fruitful disciple of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This morning I just bless you. I bless your home. I bless your week. I thank God for each and every one of you for your lives and who you are to this community and who you are to all those people that you reach. So go this week. Be Jesus to everyone that you see, even those that are closest to you, that maybe you forget that you still can be Jesus too. Have an amazing week, and we really look forward to seeing you again.